0: If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up with me to Mark chapter 1. Now, what we've been doing here at The View, we spent a a large number of the semester on real love, where we talked about what it really means when the church, when believers live out the love that Christ has called us to love. To all people, regardless of race, regardless of background, regardless of what their parents do, regardless of... You know, social status and money and, and all these things that we divide ourselves with in this nation. We divide ourselves on anything we can. That's why we divide ourselves on skin color because it's so easy to. You don't even have to get to know somebody. You just divide like that. Well, we spent a larger majority of our semester talking about what it means to live out real love. But over the last three weeks, we've been doing this series called Do Not Disturb. How many of you over the last couple of weeks have checked your screen time? Anybody? I hope so. I hope you have. <laughs> I checked mine. I was like, surely I'm doing pretty good. I opened my phone. I said, Dang, am I living on this thing? Like, the hours that we're spending on our devices are adding up. And if you remember, week one, we asked a question. And here was the question we asked week one We said, Do we control our phones or do our phones control us? You remember that question? over the last three weeks, we've looked at an array of different issues pertaining to social media, our phones, the way that we choose to connect with other human beings, the way that we ultimately choose to connect with God. And tonight, we're going to land that plane with one of the most pressing issues in our nation, really in the world, and it's specific to this generation. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, and you probably saw it on Instagram. The title is, I'm Not Alone. The title of the message tonight is I'm Not Alone. This past week, as I was reading and studying over this passage and reading and studying over some things, I saw a video online, and I've been reading this book, and it's an incredible resource. It's called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. I don't know if you've read that book, but I've been reading that book, and one of the things that he talked about in that book, and this is very fascinating, he told the story of a YouTube video. Now, I went and searched the video. I wanted to see what he was talking about. In this YouTube video, follow with me for a moment, if you will. There's a homeless man, and there's a 20, 22-year-old college student. And uh, what they do is they give money to this homeless man. Um, Now, scripturally speaking, I want to pause right here and say something from the very beginning. Scripturally speaking, I wrote this down. If you video yourself giving a homeless person money, you really have to check your heart. All right? And hear me. I don't want to make you mad at me from the very beginning. I'm five minutes in. (laughs) Anytime. We post something on social media showing a good deed we've done for the Lord. We have to check our heart. I'm not saying it's always bad. I'm not saying it's bad to post what God's doing through you. But what I am aware of scripturally is Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus wasn't pulling no punches in the Sermon on the Mount when he said this. These are Jesus' words. Look with me. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. (laughs) <laughs> you are like, man, this is a bad night to show up on. <laughs> Some of you are like, man, this is a bad view to be at. But seriously, though, I want, to hear, I want you to understand something. When we do something for the Lord and then we seek our reward from this world, we lose our reward with the Father. And I want to ask you, when you do work for the kingdom, what reward do you really want? Do you want the world to applaud you? Because once that applause ends, your reward has been given. But when you do something for the Lord... It tells us in Scripture, and you can search for it all through James as well, that we are rewarded by the Father when we get to heaven. And even in this world, he, he blesses our obedience. And so you can have your reward from the world if you want it, it's not worth anything. Or you can have your reward from the world, from the Lord, which is worth everything. And so anytime, and I'm serious, I want you to write this down. Anytime you go to post anything on social media, I want you to ask yourself this question Why am I posting this? You could save yourself a world of trouble. I could save myself a world of trouble if I would simply take the time to ask, why am I posting this? Now, I kept watching this video, though. I wanted to see the video through. And uh, here's what happened. This homeless man was sitting against a chain-link fence. You can imagine a chain-link fence. He's leaned up against it. And uh, the homeless man takes the money that this college student is offering. He hands him the money or whatever. It was $10, maybe $20. I'm not sure how much, but he hands it to him, and the homeless man takes this money. Then here's what happened, Peyton. It's crazy. The homeless man looks at this college student. Are you ready for this? You're gonna love this. He looks at the college student and he he asks him if he wants to sit down with him. Isn't that crazy? Most of us already know that feeling. Like, uh, you know, we're kind of like, God, I did my part, you know, like I gave him the 20. Do I really have to sit down with him too? You know, like we in our flesh do we not think that? I'm sure that's what that college student thought. He said, Hey, do you want to sit down with me? So in this video, you watch this play out. It's very fascinating. The college student sits down with this homeless man. Talks to him, has a little bit of conversation. The conversation starts to get a little awkward and the homeless man can tell. So the homeless man then, and I want to make sure I'm not skipping any parts of this. He looks at the college students. He says, hey, I'll be right back. He gets up, leaves the scene. 10 minutes pass by. What's so crazy about this video, when he comes back, he has a bag. He comes back with a bag and the college student's just staring at him. He opens the bag and he pulls out not one styrofoam tray, but two styrofoam trays. And he hands him one. And he says, Hey, man, I went and I bought me a meal, but I also bought you a meal. And I was just wondering. He the homeless man asked the college student this. He says, I was just wondering if you would consider sitting down and sharing the meal with me. And I was appalled. I wrote down some of the other things he said because I didn't want to mess it up. Y'all know how my memory is. This is what he tells him. He says, it's lonely out here. In this video, you can go find it. He says, it's lonely out here. People walk by and ignore me. He tells the college this: people walk by and ignore me. He said, they could care less if I was dead or alive. And the last thing he said to the college student, he said, it's great to just sit out here and share a meal with somebody. <laughs> How many people do we pass that are homeless on the side of the road every day? And never really think about it. One of the quotes in that book, and I'm gonna put this on the screen right here, pertaining to loneliness, watch this. He says in this quote, this exposes a side to homelessness that is mostly ignored. And that is that most fundamental to human life than money, food, and shelter is human friendship. We were made to connect with other humans for true fellowship. All because we were made in the image of God. And this is why loneliness stings like an open gash in our skin. Then look what he says. I love this. We understand the link between loneliness and homelessness. What is more difficult to understand is why such rampant loneliness persists in the hyper-connected digital age. (laughs) Wow. Now let me put Daniel's little... Translation here, (laughs) all right? Mine's a little even easier. I don't use as many big words, right? Y'all know me, I use easy words. In a world where college students are more connected than ever before, why is loneliness more prevalent than ever before? And I have some statistics. Just as I gave you on patience, I wanna give you some of these, which is crazy. Studies found that the loneliest group of people in America are Generation Z, 18 to 22-year-olds, 23 and 24 are not far off. In fact, 73% of active social media users consider themselves regularly lonely. Stay on number two right here. Don't jump to number three for a minute. But 73% of active social media users consider themselves regularly lonely? That's insane. In fact, I found this, and you can look it up and tell me if it's true. Loneliness and poor social connections are as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. 15 cigarettes a day. That's the effect that loneliness has on our well-being, on our spiritual health. I think there's another one. Yeah, right here. On average, slightly more men experience loneliness than women. So there's a whole lot of fellas in the room who say, I'm not lonely. I got all my boys around me, man. I'm good. I'm good, man. This sermon ain't for me. We you want to go to cookout tonight. You know, and they're already like, I don't need loneliness. Sir. What are you talking about? Damn, I'm good. I don't want to talk about stuff like that. Here's the thing. The loneliest generation in America is not the older ones that are in retirement homes. It's you, and it's me, and it's men, which is insane. My grandma, before she passed away in October, was in a retirement home, and every single morning she had a 6 a.m. walking club. And they would walk around the complex, and they would talk, and they would jive, and she was literally had formed a walk club in a community right where she is. Yet 18 to 23-year-olds are more connected than we ever have been. We never turn off, and yet constantly we deal with loneliness. Now, I'm in the thick of it with you, and I have conversations with college students all the time. Here's what I hear from you. What I hear from you all the time is that you feel and believe that God is far from you, I have plenty of conversations to back it up. You believe God is not very close to you, and that is why you often feel alone. I'm in the same boat with you. I feel like God is far from me many times. You feel like God isn't really that close to you. You go to pray. You go to read, even some of you who have been doing this for a while. And sometimes you question, is there really somebody there with you? So we have, we talking real tonight, ain't we? A lot of you are around your peers all the time, and yet you still feel isolated and lonely in your friend groups as if nobody really gets you or understands you or can know you. And when you feel like that, it prevents you from ever opening up in a vulnerable or real way. In fact, you believe that your sin and your temptation is so unique to you that you can't talk about it with anybody else because nobody else could possibly be struggling with that too, which isolates and makes you even more alone. Now, what's amazing is in this Do Not Disturb series, those two things could not be further from the truth of Scripture. What we're going to look at tonight is that God is so close to you, if you knew how close, it would blow you away. And every single temptation you have, even the ones that you're so ashamed of, other people are struggling with that temptation too. You're not alone. You're not alone. So tonight we look at Mark chapter 1. We look at the life of Jesus Christ. I want to turn your attention to Mark chapter 1. And what we're going to find is we're going to find Jesus Christ. Now, we know Mark is a very quick gospel. It is very, very speedy. It cuts to the chase. It doesn't waste no time. It showcases some of the biggest moments in Jesus' life. And we're going to pick up tonight, Ibuka, with one of those moments early on in the ministry of Jesus in chapter 1. And we're going to pull a few points away from this right out the gate. So look with me at Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 35, starting in verse 35, as we end our series tonight, it tells us that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, Jesus, got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. I've heard this verse preached on many times for waking up in the morning. I don't know about you, I'm not a morning person. And I don't drink coffee. (laughs) I wish I could drink coffee. If I could drink coffee, my life would be a whole lot easier. How many of y'all drink coffee? Yep, look at these hands up. These people spend a lot of money at Starbucks. (laughs) People spend a lot of money at Dunkin' Donuts and wherever. The Hub, (laughs) these people spend a lot of money at the Hub. But what I'm saving in coffee, I spend on Diet Coke. (laughs) So it all balances out in the end. Very early in the morning. Let's keep going, though. He, he gets to a deserted place. We're going to come back to this. And look at this. Simon and his companions, in verse 36, searched for him. And when they had found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Now, let's pause right there and make a point here. His disciples are believing. When you study this text, it starts to come to life. Because they see Jesus retreat alone, the disciples are believing, watch this, that he is not capitalizing on the ministry opportunities that he has. <laughs> They're like, Jesus, we need to begin to work. What are you doing? <laughs> and it's absolutely true that there's times in our lives where we need to get to work. But I want to tell you something. What Jesus understands here is that the work for the kingdom begins alone with God before it ever begins out with people. Ever. In fact, students, if I can tell you, if you are in a room tonight and you are trying to impact people or minister or reach lost souls or encourage people or make disciples, if you're trying to do all those good things and yet bypass your time with the Lord, you will walk around powerless. Your ministry is powerless. My ministry is powerless. We cannot bypass isolated, deserted time with the Lord and believe that we're going to be filled. God has to fill you up before you can go and pour into anybody else. But it's a proud thing. Let's be real. It's a pride thing. We want to really believe that, hey, I can just wake up in the morning, go right out there, and start impacting lives and changing the world. If you and me think we can change the world without the Spirit of God, we really don't have a good perspective of the Spirit of God (laughs) or of ourselves or of this world. Look Look what happens here. Jesus says to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. Notice he didn't talk about the miracles here. He didn't say, I'm going to do miracles. He said, I'm going to preach. The miracles were great, but the miracles were pointing to the message he was preaching about. So many of us want God to do some big work in our life, some big miracle. But we don't realize that, that the gospel itself is the miracle. Isn't that incredible? Verse 39, he went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him. God bless you. God bless you. I'm right here with you. Amen. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing. Be made clean. Verse 42 Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Let's pray for a moment, college students. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together tonight, not in fear of our lives. Father, thank you that as we sang out a moment ago that literally, Lord, not for a moment will you forsake us. Not for a moment will you leave us. God, you are with us as believers. Your spirit lives in us. And God, we pray tonight that you would have every word, Lord. We pray you would rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus from this place. And Lord, that you would have every word tonight. Lord, save someone tonight. Lord, speak to us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. If that's your prayer tonight, say amen. 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 Tonight we're doing a little bit differently. We're not doing points. This is what I have for you. I have a question for the night, and I have a decision for the night. So we're going to do it a little bit differently. I want to give you a question for the night. And then we're going to have a decision for the night. Here's the first one. Question for the night. What does your soul feed on when you're alone? Whoo, man, I've been excited for this message because it's wrecked me and my personal walk, and I'm not praying that it wrecks you, only if the Spirit says so. But what does your soul feed on when you are alone? Now, two other times in Mark's gospel, we see Jesus get away to pray. We see Jesus retreat. We see Jesus leave the world and run to the Father. In fact, in Mark 6, verse 46, it tells us after he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. I want to make a point to you, college students. When you do retreat, let me have your eyes right here. This is important. College students love to, man, we do this all the time. I can't stress this enough. This is not some Instagram quote. This is real. Hear me for a moment. I'm already getting away from it. I, at 23 years old, would go to the park I got saved at and spend hours out there retreating, which is so good. And I know that in your life, you probably tend to get away and retreat. One thing I realized that changed my life when I realized it, and I only had to realize it because God was really ripping apart the layers of pride I had in me. I realized a few years ago that when I was retreating to that park, I was retreating, but I wasn't praying. I was getting alone, but I wasn't getting alone to be with God. And just hear me out for a minute. This is an Instagram quote. This ain't nothing like that. Just hear me. I would get away, but I wasn't focusing on God when I was there. I was focusing on me. So when I would walk away from that park, I walked away with more of me, not more of God. Let me tell you something. I'm a sinful, selfish, stubborn. That's three S's, all alliterated. I am selfish, stupid. Ah, I've got the other one. (laughs) stubborn. Yeah, stubborn. More stubborn than salsa. I was stubborn. That's an S2, salsa. Stubborn. (laughs) Let me tell you something. I don't need more of me, (laughs) okay? That's what I realized. I'm just being real with you. we just talking. When I go to retreat, I don't need more of me. That's more sin. (laughs) That's more selfishness. I need more of the Spirit. That's alliterated too. (laughs) That's cool. I need more of the Spirit of God. But here's what happens though. You retreat, you get alone, and you spend time thinking and thinking and thinking, but you're not praying, you're not focusing on scripture. You're not focusing on God's presence. And thinking, thinking is good. But if you're just thinking about you and your problems and your issues and hypothetical scenarios, you're not being filled with the spirit. You're wearing yourself down. We worry the most over hypothetical situations that will never happen. That will never happen. So this is what I did. When I started going to that park, I went out there. I said, I'm not going out here to get more meat. I'm not going out here to get more of my feelings or my emotions or my goals. I'm going out here to be filled with the Spirit of God, to literally pray, to read Scripture, to focus on the Spirit of God. And when I did that, it changed my life. All of a sudden, when I left the park, when I I left my retreat, I came back filled up instead of coming back drained. And that's just real. When you retreat, if you stop filling yourself up with more of you and more of the world and start filling yourself up more with him and his word, your life will change forever. Your life will change forever. But not only does he go to the mountain to pray, but Mark 14, verses 32 to 36 say this. Jesus retreats again. Then they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he told his disciples, sit here while I pray. Don't you like that? (laughs) I'd be like, yes, sir. (laughs) Like whatever you say, Jesus, You know, like I'm following you here. He says, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Why? He knows the cross is coming. And Jesus wasn't stressed, whatever you want to call it. Jesus was not worked up and distressed because of the physical torment. Yes, that was awful. That was terrible, the cross itself. But what Jesus was distressed about was the fact that on the cross he would be separated from the Father by taking on the sins of the world. Jesus was distressed over the spiritual battle, not just the physical battle. As, as human beings, we are obsessed with the physical battles we go through. We are obsessed with the drama that we go through in our lives, not realizing that there's a spiritual battle being waged all around us. How I know that is because we fight the physical battles by worrying, but we never fight the spiritual battles by praying. Sheesh, sheesh. Not only that, he says, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. Simple command. We're not going to get into this tonight, but a simple command that they couldn't obey. Because like me, they were a little stubborn. He went a little farther, fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible for the hour might pass him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. But nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Taking on the sins of the world. I want to make a point to you. We see Jesus in the gospel of Mark retreat to three places. He retreats to a dark and deserted place. He retreats to a mountain. And he retreats to a garden. And I want to tell you a great truth tonight. God the Father met him in all three places. <laughs> Isn't that cool? God the Father met him in all three places. Jesus retreated because he was confident that God the Father would meet him there. You know the reason why you struggle, and I struggle with FOMO, why we struggle to put our devices away, why we struggle to really get away from this world? It's because we lack confidence that God's really going to meet us there. It is, ain't it? You know it. I know you're with me. We don't really, we're afraid to step away from the world because we see these physical human beings around us all the time. I know that when I go home, my wife's there. I can see her. But when you go and you retreat to go be with God for a few hours, the invisible God, you are showing faith that His Spirit will meet you there. Do you have confidence that God will meet you when you get away? If not, you'll never get away. This isn't in my notes. If you don't have confidence that God will meet you when you get away, you will live a life where you never, ever step away from this world. You will consume your schedule with being connected and busy because it's all you trust. It's all you trust. Don't you want a better life, didn't you? Don't you want a better spiritual life? I do. Don't you want a life where when you go to the mountain or whether you're in a valley or whether you're in a storm or whether, no matter whether you are, whether you're in a trial or a battle or whatever it is, don't you want a life where you're confident that God will meet you there in those circumstances? Don't you want that tonight? Or do you want a life where you're walking around doubting if God will really meet you? In fact, one of the things I wrote down is that God's presence is not dependent on creation. In fact, creation is dependent on God's presence. And that's a great truth to understand. God's presence is not dependent on your circumstances. But all of creation is dependent on God's presence. Your circumstances don't change God's character. But God's character has the power to change your circumstances. <laughs> your circumstances don't Change God's character, but God's character has the power to change your circumstances. If you ever want to be humbled, and I know we all do, (laughs) not really. If you ever want to be humbled, listen to what the Lord says to Job in Job 38, verses 33 to 37. It'll be on the screen. Do you know the laws of heaven? (laughs) Don't you love that? The Lord just asking questions. Do you know the laws of heaven? I imagine that. Daniel So you know the laws of heaven, big man, huh? (laughs) Nope. Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you oppose this authority on earth? Can you command the clouds so that a flood of water covers you? Can you send out lightning bolts, Thor, and they go? Do they report to you? Here we are. Who put wisdom in the heart or gave the mind understanding? Who has the wisdom to number the clouds or who can tilt the water jars of heaven when the dust hardens like cast metal and the clods of dirt stick together? In other words, God is asking Job, Are you me? If you're not me, look at what I can do with all creation. Are you willing to trust me? College students, are you God? I'm not. You're not. Are you willing to trust Him and realize that no matter how hard we try, He's better at being God than we ever could imagine us being God? That's incredible. It really is foolish to believe that we can find ourselves in a situation on this earth where God is not with us. We go through hard times, we get lonely. And this truth is so important to know as Christians. It's so important to know, and here's why. Satan doesn't really have to convince you that God isn't real. If Satan can convince you that God is far away, he the battle's won. The battle is not God isn't real, God isn't real. What Satan is lying to you and saying is he's saying that, hey, God is far away from you. God is not close to you. In fact, I wrote this down in my notes. Um, Satan traps us into believing that God is unloving when we're lonely by convincing us that God is uninvolved when we're lonely. If he can convince you that when you are lonely and you find yourself in that trap and you find yourself in that storm, that he's uninvolved, that he's not playing a role, that he's not moving. In fact, when you look around and don't see God moving, if if he can convince you that God isn't moving, the battle's already being won over your soul. Isn't that crazy? But you are not alone. That's why Paul spends so much time in Romans 8 fighting about it, so that believers would understand this, because believers don't quite understand the power of God's presence. We don't really understand it. Paul spends a huge amount of time in Romans 8 fighting this. He says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Who? The devil can't. This is not the day that the devil has made. (laughs) This is not the day the government has made. This is not the day you and me have made. This is the day the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice in it. (laughs) He says, who can separate you from the love of Christ? Let me ask some college students. The person in your life that's causing so much drama and heartache, can they separate you from the love of Christ? Can your family member that doesn't know Jesus, that you keep praying about and have all that turmoil over, can they separate you from the love of Christ? Can your final exam separate you from the love of Christ? <laughs> but we idolize these things thinking that they can. Paul asks a simple question. <clears throat> Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, can any of these things separate you from Christ? If not, why are you worshiping them like they are your Christ? <laughs> why? Who can separate you? Because of you, as it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. College students, if you walked in those doors tonight feeling alone, feeling isolated, feeling lonely, I have incredible news for you. If everything in your life falls apart, you have a reason to smile. If everything goes wrong, literally if it all falls apart, I would even dare say that That if every loved one you had was taken away from you, if every ounce of clothing you had was taken away from you, if every ounce of food was taken away from you, if every job and career and engagement and all these things we love was taken away from you, you have a reason to smile. You know why? Because the God of the universe sees you and is with you. And if that is not the cure to our loneliness, we really don't understand the power of God's presence. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. You'll memorize it for next week for me, right? Got you. Sean, he's going to memorize it next week. Produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If death cannot separate you, I'm speaking to believers here, if death cannot separate you from the love of Jesus Christ, if you have no reason to fear death, why do you fear any other human beings? Why? I'm serious. Because we walk around afraid of other human beings. We do. Don't tell me you don't. I do. We're afraid so much of what people... Will say about us or what people will think about us. I have incredible news, college students. When you know what God thinks about you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry what other human beings think about you. Because the opinion of the God of the universe is a little bit higher than your classmates, isn't it? (laughs) I don't know. You tell me. The opinion of the God of the universe, the opinion of Jesus Christ, who loved you so much that he was willing to die for you, knowing all of your sin if his opinion of you means you're worth dying for, you are that loved, is there anybody in your life worth fearing? Anybody? (laughs) Now, what do you think about when you're alone? Because as we said last week, it's so easy to come in here, hoop and holler, get all excited, run into the week. But when you are alone, and you're away from other human beings, what does your mind think about? Jesus retreats and praise. When he was alone, he focused on the Father. He focused on the spiritual realm. I want to ask you, when you're alone, do your thoughts wage war on you? I see heads nodding all across the room. When you're alone, does your mind ever feel like it's your greatest enemy? That if you could just win the battle of your mind, you would feel so much more victory in your life if you could win this fight up here, doesn't it? When you're alone, do you dwell on evil, sinful thoughts when you're alone? Because whatever you dwell on, whatever lives up here, that's what will begin to exist here. Whatever lives in private always makes it to the public in your life. Have you ever seen the Jurassic Park movies? (laughs) Because the same storyline happens every single movie. It's a repeating narrative. They try to house dinosaurs on the island, thinking that they can contain them and keep them there, and somehow the dinosaurs, every single time, escape to the mainland and cause damage. That's literally the plot of the next upcoming movie. Spoiler alert. (laughs) They think they can contain a dinosaur, and every single time what they try to contain in private always makes it to public. Listen, your sin is much greater and much deadlier than a dinosaur, and every single time you try to hide it in private, it's always going to come out in public, (laughs) every single time. When you dwell on jealousy, all of a sudden your actions and your words become a little jealous. All of a sudden the way you treat people begins to be a little differently. Lust, oof, And we really believe that lust is just an issue that men struggle with. It's not. Lust is when you objectify a human being. So if you're in here And all you think about when you're alone is the next season of life. Are you ready for this? When you're alone, if all you think about is meeting that next boyfriend or girlfriend, if all you worship and think about is making it to that next season of life, I got news for you. You are objectifying your future spouse. You have turned them into an object that can provide something for you one day. That's what you and I have done. God bless you. That's the same concept as lust. When all you think about is getting married and you're not focused on where you are right here, whether you're engaged, whether you're single, whether you're dating, no matter where you are, you are objectifying the person and saying, hey, they are just going to exist to meet my needs and provide for me a season of life that I can rejoice in. And on the same side, when you sit there and spend all these hours alone focusing your mind on lust, on sexual gratification, Don't be surprised when that starts to spill out in your public life. I know it's heavy, it's hard, you don't want to hear it, but it's truth. It's truth. What you dwell on will come out here. But what's amazing is when you feed on the word of God, your soul begins to conquer those thoughts. Don't you know that you can have victory in your mind? Don't you know that James says you don't have to be a double-minded man or woman? Don't you know that? That your mind could literally be one? But what you've got to do is you've got to get the truth of God to invade the lies of Satan. And that happens is the word he uses there for double-minded is partition, just like that wall we've pulled right there to break this room in half. Somebody could have an entire other service right on the other side of that wall. They could do a whole other service, and we wouldn't be any part of it. We could do our service, they could do theirs. And you know what? For a lot of us, that's how our mind works. We've got one thing going on over here. And a whole other thing going on over here. We've got God's truth on Mondays coming in this side. We've got the lies of Satan coming on in this side. When you start to absorb God's word and read it and meditate on it and literally wake up in the morning and spend time reading God's word, memorize it and meditating on it, the truth of God invades those lies. That's how you stop worshiping and obsessing and craving sex, (laughs) that God created sex, he is pro-sex, and that that is coming one day in marriage if you follow God's word. That's how you stop worshiping and, and craving the next season to be engaged and to be married and to be graduating and to have that career and have all those things which are great things which you're making out an idol. I wrote this down this, this past week. You're gonna love this. I wrote this down. If Jesus is your reason for life, don't worship a season of life. If Jesus is your reason for life, then stop worshiping a season of life. (laughs) There is no season of life that will fill your soul the way your reason for life will, which is Jesus Christ. I've got to keep moving. Don't worship a season of life. In fact, Matthew 5, 6 talks about this, and then we're moving into the next one. This is Ending our question for the night, Matthew 5, 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are those, I love this as a part of those verses. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I want to tell you something. A day, oh, this is good, this is on the screen. A day that's filled with loneliness begins with a morning that wasn't spent with the Lord. That's how it happens. I, man, you ain't gonna see this on Instagram. This ain't no catchy, wordy stuff. Like, If that's all we're here for, man, like what? <laughs> that's a waste of time. If you go to a church or you go to a ministry and they're not preaching and telling you to wake up in the morning and read your Bible, run. <laughs> as middle school as it is, and I hated middle school church, here's the great truth for tonight. If you are waking up in the morning, so good. If you are waking up in the morning and your day does not begin with God, how in the world that day are you gonna live for God? <laughs> how? It's so elementary, yet most of us don't send hear journals the way we're supposed to to our accountability groups. Most of us don't read and meditate scripture in the morning. Most of us do not spend a whole lot of our week reading God's word. I love this quote, it'll be on the screen. You would never, for those of you who love music, this is for you, you would never have a concert first and then tune your instrument afterwards. So begin the day with the word of God and prayer and get first of all into harmony with the Lord. I don't even play instruments and I can understand that. I don't even know how to tune an instrument. I've never tuned an instrument in my life. Tune the triangle. I don't know. You can only think you can tune a triangle. Is that what it's called? Triangle? I, don't know. I just always see like, I don't know. You would never tune an instrument after you've had a concert. So why do we not begin our day with the Lord? Somebody asked me two weeks ago, they said, Daniel, my life feels, this is the words he said, so far from God. I feel so far from God. This was the question I asked. What's the first thing you do in the morning? Do you draw near to God? answer was no. It's not God who gets away from us. It's our hearts that get away from God. But James tells us every time you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. You know, there's people in your life, and the Lord wants me to stay on this for a moment, so I will. There's people in your life who, when you call, won't answer and may not call you back. You know that every time you approach God's throne, he's there. So why do we take advantage of God so much? Why do we worship people who won't even send us a text or a call back? But we don't give God proper worship. Why? Is it because we lack a real perspective of his presence? I got to keep going. So the question for the night, what does your soul feed on when you're alone? Begin your day with the Lord, with the word. Want a reading plan? We have Bibles right at that tent outside that door that you can buy. And and it's not the money for us. We sell them from the bookstore. It's not view money at all. We don't sell anything here for view money. I guess clothes sometimes, but it goes to Bellevue's budget. When you go, (laughs) I was trying to think through, yeah, we do sell merch a little bit, but that goes back to Bellevue. You go out there, you open up that F260. It has a Bible reading plan, and that plan is what God used to radically change my life when I did not understand how to read Scripture. Do you know how helpless it feels? Do you know how helpless it felt as a 21-year-old college student to not know how to pray? to not know how to read the Bible. Some of you have been trained for years, and I'm jealous because I wish I had training on how to read and pray, but I never did. I never did, and that's why I never did it. Read and pray. Now, the decision for the night, very simple, is this. I'm doing pretty good on time tonight as well. I want to be respectful of it. The decision for the night is this. Dwell on your own desires or serve the needs of other souls. When we do experience this Crisis of loneliness. The decision that we have after we spend time with the Lord is we can dwell on our own desires or serve the needs of other souls. So Jesus spends time with the Father and then look at what happens immediately after this. Let's go on to the neighboring villages. This is Mark 1 in verse 38. Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy, came to him, and on his knees begged, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, he reached out and touched him. I am willing. Be made clean. Jesus immediately, in the view as a ministry, we have got to buy in to what happens in this passage. Watch this. Jesus, after he has spent time with the Father, immediately turns his eyes to other people's souls. Immediately. I want to give you three quick things here, Subpoints: A, the first one is Jesus served his loved ones. Jesus was there and served his disciples. He washed the disciples' feet. He served his family. Jesus served loved ones. He served those who were walking with him. I got to tell you something, college students. Most of us dwell in our loneliness because we never turn our eyes to the people around us. I want to tell you something. Most of us don't serve our loved ones because we're sitting around waiting for our loved ones to serve us. <laughs> I do. Like, I I realized a while ago, why am I sitting here waiting for Hannah to plan a date night when I could just plan it myself? (laughs) And how much easier it became when I said, you know what, I'm just gonna plan a date night this Friday and took her out and went to putt-putt and and beat her, obviously, as I do, because I'm great at putt-putt. And uh, (laughs) just kidding, I I lost. (laughs) I lost, you're not surprised by that. But I realized with my mom and dad growing up, There were so many opportunities I never served my mom and dad because I was under the false belief that I was owed them to serve me. (laughs) Nobody owes you anything, college students. Jesus immediately turns his eyes to his loved ones, to the people that were asking for him, to the people who were following him. Do you ever, and I'm serious, I'm asking you as much as I am asking me, do you ever stop and get outside of yourself and think about your loved ones and what needs they might have? Do, does that ever happen? Or do we live lives that are just so self absorbed where, where we're the main character and everybody else is a side character helping us on our quest? <laughs> Isn't that so contradictory to scripture? But what's amazing is not only did Jesus serve his loved ones, Jesus served and preached to the lost. Jesus immediately turns and begins preaching the gospel. He begins proclaiming the truth of why he came to this earth, and that's that heaven came with it too. (laughs) Heaven came down to earth. When you are lonely, if you want to overcome loneliness, go share the gospel with somebody else. Say, wow, Daniel, did you go to seminary to learn that? Nope. Learned it the hard way from being disobedient. 22 years old, I realized, man, I'm sitting around dwelling on how lonely I am and how nobody's reaching out to me and how I'm so isolated. And at the same time, I passed through an entire store and not one time looked at any of those souls who were passing me by. Do you realize that if we really believe the teachings of Jesus, that means every person we pass is either going to spend an eternity in heaven or hell? If that's true, How in the world can we dwell on our loneliness and not stop to share the gospel with these people that are passing us by? Do you really think people are going to be that put out if you ask them, hey, how you doing? (laughs) We live in a lonely world. When you ask somebody, hey, how are you doing? First off, they're going to be shocked that you took the time to ask just like that homeless man because we never do that. We never get out of our own way. And what you're gonna have is you're gonna have a conversation with a waiter or a waitress or a cashier or a friend and you're gonna be engaging with them and asking them, hey, what's going on in your life? Who are you? What's your story? How long have you worked here? And as you listen to them, again, the Spirit is gonna literally impress on your heart. If you're a believer and you know the Lord, the Spirit is gonna impress on your heart how to turn that conversation to a gospel conversation. And you'll ask them, So, man, I want to ask you, do you have a faith? Do you believe in anything? Are you religious at all? Because I would love to tell you what changed my life. I would love to tell you about the God of the universe. Man, if you do that, do you know how much God would work through that? We have gone to University of Memphis this semester every Monday, and there's been barely anybody there. There's nobody at U of M right now. It's amazing we have this many college students every week worshiping on Monday nights because there's nobody at Memphis. The campus is at maybe 2%. And yet this semester, we have seen people literally repent of their sins right by the tiger statue, (laughs) right outside the university center where so much sin occurs, where so much darkness lives. We've seen people, no credit to the view, this is the spirit of God. We've seen people at that campus when nobody's there, repent of their sins and come to know Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? In fact, some of them are here tonight because they've been baptized here at The View. That's insane. That's what happens. Absolutely. Praise God if you've been baptized at The View. When you're feeling lonely, I want you to imagine something coming down for a minute. I'll get out of breath. I'll get out of breath going back up I want you to imagine something. I mean, really hear me on this. As believers, I'm speaking to believers in the room right now. If we experience a whole lot of loneliness as believers who know the Lord, who have the Spirit of God living inside of our literal bodies, if we experience loneliness, have you ever stopped to imagine how much lonelier it must be for those souls who don't even know their Creator? Have you ever thought about how lonely it must be for people who don't know Jesus Christ. If we, in our sinful flesh as believers, experience loneliness, do you know how much lonelier it must be for them? You want to know, I can tell you, because I was lost until 21 years old. You want to know how it feels? I can tell you. Your pastor' is a living testimony of it, and some of you are too. It's awful. It ain't no fun. At 21 years old, I had never felt as lonely and as isolated as I ever could and I had no idea how to pray or read or find my creator no idea how to find Jesus not a single clue not a single ounce of hope in my life <sighs> when we feel lonely if we would stop and take a second to think how much lonelier People must be that don't know Jesus. Do you think that would drive us to share the gospel with them a little bit more? I do. Because people shared the gospel with me, that's why I'm here tonight. Because somebody shared the gospel with you, that's why you're here tonight. And I want to tell you something. You'll never evangelize to lost souls until you have empathy for lost souls. It'll never happen. Until you can empathize and feel for the lost, you'll never take the gospel to the lost. We don't evangelize because we lack empathy. It's not because we lack opportunity. It's because we lack empathy. The world's ready to talk about it. It's Christians that aren't ready to talk about it. I gotta keep moving. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> All right, right, pretty good. Not only did he serve and preach the lost, the third one and the last one here is Jesus served the helpless. Jesus served the helpless. Man with leprosy comes up to him, begging. Jesus hears him. It's a good thing he didn't have AirPods in. Like I like I did for 4 years of college, I walked around my campus with earbuds in, missing lost souls. Hurting souls. It's a good thing he didn't have AirPods in. You realize Jesus could have healed this man of leprosy without touching him. He didn't have to touch him. He touched him because of compassion. Because he loved him. And he showed that. I love this quote. I'm going to put it on the screen very quickly. The problem is that we invite loneliness even though it makes us miserable. The history of our use of technology is a history of isolation desired and achieved. I wanna put one more more quote up. I'm skipping ahead a little bit. I wanna put one more quote up. Y'all will have it. It says that our smartphones are portable shields. Here it is. Our smartphones are portable shields we wield in public in order to deter human contact and interaction. And you think about this. When we step into an occupied elevator, we grab our phones like security blankets. You ever been there? I have. (laughs) Oh, yeah. As soon as I get in the elevator with people I don't know, it's pulling us out right here acting like I'm doing something. I'm just swiping between the home screens. (laughs) Y'all been there? Y'all don't act like you have it. You know you've been there. Where you're just sitting there on the elevator, and you're just doing this. <laughs> and you're just standing there the whole time, just, just swiping. Let me make sure I can get everybody in. Let's take a selfie. We ain't never done that. <laughs> Series on Do Not Disturb. Take a selfie. we just sitting there on the elevator, swiping, <laughs> swiping. Why? Because we're so afraid of human contact, even though we're connected digitally 24-7. We're afraid of it. We deter people. He goes on in that quote to say, the smartphone is causing, and really think about this, because this is the last thing of our series and we're done with this. The desire, I mean, get ahead. the smartphone is causing a social reversal. The desire to be alone in public and never alone in seclusion. We can be shielded in public and surrounded in isolation, meaning we can escape the awkwardness of human interaction on the street and the boredom of solitude in our homes. And then I love this. He says, or so we think. In fact, when you look at air in homes, heat used to be in homes for families that would gather around a fire in order to be warm, and then central heat was a technological advancement. We're landing the plane here, but I want to give you this. This is so huge. Almost every step of technology isolates us more. Central heat comes into home, and now families don't have to sit around a fire because that heat is pushed to all four corners of the room so families begin to be more spread out. In fact, I'll give you one more, one more here, and I'm done with this. And we're done with technology too in this series. Music, a technological advancement. Think about this. At one point, to hear music, you were to gather at a theater and you would listen to music as a community. And then what happened in technology? Technology continued to advance, and we all listen to music. This is so good. Technology continued to advance, and now music is no longer in theaters the way we used to. Music became a big device that was inside of people's homes, so families would no longer gather out in public together as much. They would listen in their homes. They would sit around the radio, and they would listen to music. And then as technology advanced, it spread families out even more. And you can think about this with the TVs too. Music all of a sudden was no longer a radio that the family would listen to inside of the home because it became a boombox. It advanced to a boombox, and then people would walk around on their shoulder with it, leaving their family, and now it was mobile. But what's happened is the, 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 the uh, boombox, it didn't stay a boombox. All of a sudden, the next time it came out, what it was a Walkman. <laughs> None of you in here even know what a Walkman is. <laughs> then they had a portable CD player, and then they came out with the iPod. She would clip right here, personal music. Now we have AirPod Pros that are so small, and they have noise cancellation. So music went from a community event to personalized, isolated, unique to just ourselves, pushing us away further and further from community. In fact, one thing he talks about in that book that's so fascinating is this is great for the market because people that are selling these devices want you to be isolated because that means they sell more devices. Why do you need just one TV in your living room when everyone can have their own personal TV and never spend time watching shows together as a family? That's why we all have our own Netflix accounts. (laughs) Because we're all spread out. We're all isolated. And I want to tell you, as human beings, when we live this way, we are living contradictory to Scripture. When I look at 1 John, when I look at 1 John three seventeen, it says, If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? We miss opportunities to show compassion to people simply because we're not willing to listen or see people. We're too busy swiping through our home screen. We're too busy checking our likes on Instagram. We're too busy looking at our Snapchat and our TikTok to even see human beings around us. But even more than that, that story of the homeless man in the very beginning, listen to this quote. You wanna talk about a scripture that will give you chills. Hebrews 13, two. Don't neglect to show hospitality for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. I really had the thought as I was writing this sermon, and I don't want you to think I'm weird, but I'm serious I had this thought. I wonder if I've ever passed by an angel because I was looking at my phone. I don't want you to think I'm weird, but I really thought that. I wonder if at University of Memphis or at restaurants or at stores, have I passed by an angel without realizing it because I was too busy looking at my phone? Were there people around me who were hurting, parents going through divorce, lost people on their way to hell that I bypassed, that I walked right by simply because I was too self-obsessed and focused on me not realizing the other people around you. I have one last line for you for this series. Loneliness is overcome when you stop focusing on yourself and start focusing on other souls around you.